Hey, everybody. Welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor. I'm here with Mark. How are you feeling today, Mark? I feel like airplane Wi-Fi right now. I'm kind of spotty, but I got a, got my cold brew. How, how are you feeling? That's very interesting. I was feeling a little spotty this morning, and then I went back to bed. Nice. So maybe that's something. Maybe we're on the same wavelength, but you just need to go back to bed. That can uh, work sometimes. I feel good. I feel like a Japanese ceramic mug. Okay. What, yeah. Like uh, any kind of design? Uh, speckled beige currently in my hand with jasmine tea. Okay, nice. Yep. Uh, California and LA has a lot of really cool... You can go to like Koreatown, Little Tokyo and go to like... Like I was just in a shopping mall. It's like essentially an entirely Japanese shopping mall. So it's like all the stores are Japanese imports and like the food court is all like Japanese food. Yeah. So you got some fancy tea. Picked up some new mugs. Yes. And some jazz. Oh, mugs and tea. Okay. Well, uh, well, near me, I've got the, uh, not to one up you, but uh, (laughs) I got the, the celestial tea headquarters is right nearby. Dang. Dude, you can go. I I did the tour once and they have a, uh, anyone who's gone has done this. They do, they bring you into, into a room like a sealed, hermetically sealed room with all the, uh, all the, all the mints that they have whoa like bulk mint and it's just like <laughs> breathing in the room is like insane it, it's a very strange feeling because it's like you feel it on your whole body like your fresh, eyes are affected fresh breath yeah. inward <laughs> yeah it totally no it totally open it opens up your uh your you know air passages like nothing else because when you leave the room you look you like breathe like you're an olympic athlete for like the next <laughs> 20 minutes it's incredible <laughs> I feel like there is a certain <laughs> there's a certain level of that that's like not natural. Like you're like you're not supposed. It's like oh, it's such an organic experience, and it's like <laughs> we're not meant to be locked in an airtight room. <laughs> not nah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like like ten ten tons of mint. Nice. That's pretty natural. It's just more natural than than like a handful of mint. Yeah, but in the in you know people follow like the paleo diet or whatever or were <laughs> any of paleolithic humans diving into a <laughs> into a mountain of <laughs> 10 tons of mint. Yeah. You know, I I'm I've been trying to like recapture that cuz like rather than go to the tour every time you want to like mm-hmm. breathe better, <laughs> like I want to uh I think I'm going to make a mint helmet. Nice. Make it like just a just a small (laughs) thing you could put over your head that's like the same experience. Try that. We're getting closer and closer to drug addiction (laughs) at that point. Yeah, I'm huffing mint. I just got this mint bong helmet. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, I told I gave you for for a change. I came up with the intro, and I can't even say that I came up with the intro. My wife actually came up with the intro because we randomly started talking about this the other day, and I was like, I literally put the brakes on a conversation, and I was like, I we need to stop doing this because I need to take it into the podcast realm. Um, (laughs) So what we're doing today, I told you to come prepared to the podcast with a list of five books that you know I've read. Yep. Okay. And I have a list of five books that I know that you've read, which means that I basically went onto our podcast page and I just clicked on random episodes and it's ones that you've covered. So I'm hundred percent sure that you read them. Cool. All right. It doesn't really matter. There's no spoilers here or anything like that. So just tell me your five and I'll tell you uh, your five and, and then I'll tell you the rules of the game. 
Okay. So I guessed that your prompt, I'm going to take, a, I took a guess at what your prompt was going to be. Okay. I thought that maybe, and you know, if this, this isn't your prompt, we can do it some other time. Uh, I guess that it was going to be, tell me where you were in your life when you read this book. Oh, that's really good, but it's not it at all. Okay. So maybe we'll do that again, do that sometime later. Yes, so what I did was I, I, yeah, that was my guess. So my prompt, my, I tried to spread it, spread it out across your lifetime. <laughs> so I've got Hatchet by Gary Paulson. Nice. <laughs> uh, I've got a new Newbery Medal winner, Holes. By Lewis, very good. HR, some old school uh, school writing, school reading. Uh, I got it by Stephen King. Yep. Got the Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami, and then uh, the last book that you did, Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Okay. Uh, So I tried to go from YA to King to postmodern to (laughs) revisiting classics. Revisiting classics. Very good. Very very considered list. Mine is not nearly as considered. Mine is random shots in the dark. Uh, okay. But I'll give you your five, and then I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna revisit these lists, so don't throw them away. But I'll give you your five. Uh, okay. Your five is Warlock by Oakley Hall. Uh, Lost in the Funhouse by John Barth. Uh, we've got Room with a View. Okay. And Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. Four. That's four. Warlock, Lost in the Funhouse, Room of the View, Left Hand of Darkness. Okay. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the fifth one is going to be, um, what's that like Stephen King book that he read, he wrote with another guy, Peter Straub or whatever? Oh, The Talisman. The Talisman. Okay. So we'll go with The Talisman too. All right, and now what we're going to do is we're going to have an open freewheeling conversation. We can we can punt them back and forth going like from your list to my list and back again. What we're going to do is we're going to invent what cocktail would be for each book. <laughs> that okay. is that is paired with each book. So just as like an exa- example of the rules, tell me what like give me one from the list that you made for me. Uh the list I made for you so, so give me one it, of the titles it it okay so what kind of and you can contribute too i'm not i'm not in the spotlight trying to like okay know, come up with the only thing so it what kind of cocktail would it be i feel like it's a mix between childhood and adulthood because it is like you know it's like the past storyline and the adult storyline right okay yep. so i'm thinking something that that's like really weird like that a kid would drink but it has alcohol in it like a sort of like <laughs> a hot a hot cocoa that has kalua <laughs> <laughs> okay or ju- juice juicy juice with vodka yeah. juicy juice with vodka exactly yeah the two storylines mixed well the first one the first one that i jumped to on that was uh bloody mary maybe oh yeah yeah it's, it's like a little mary. bit where does that name come from do you know no idea. Does that have some weird history? Well, with... they'll say that stupid game that you play when you're a kid where you like say Bloody Mary into the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It definitely has some it, it definitely has some sort of like morbid, maybe possibly English origin. Yep. I actually have a story real quick. Uh I was out with my girlfriend the other night, like the first time we had gone to like a kind of restaurant in a while and like they were just reopening or whatever. And so they didn't have like a full drink menu. And we were like kind of lost for a minute. 
<laughs> as far as like, wait, what kind of drinks are there when there's no menu to go on? Like what, what, <laughs> what can you just like walk up to a normal bar, any bartender and like know that they can make, you know, Jack and Coke. So, yeah. Yeah. So she was, we were just Lots like in the headlights for a second. So yeah. But yeah, I, I like that for it. What's, uh, Hmm. Let me give you one from my list. Well, anything like list. sewers. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> sewers. Uh, what would the cocktail be for room with a view? Room with a view. Uh, it's like kind of fancy ish. Maybe like uh very. It, that's the one where it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of love story going on from this uh, fancy, I believe French or, you know, at least European hotel. I can't remember um and they like go on these hikes and stuff and hmm maybe like this this would honestly be maybe just like a like champagne or something maybe like a mimosa (laughs) like so like very simple very very simple kind of classic Uh, yeah or it'd be like a lame like expensive wine or something (laughs) nice who wrote rome with a view i didn't even that's em forster okay em forster cool uh yeah give me one for my list um okay let's go let's go with hatchet Hatchet. (laughs) oh god okay so if for the uninitiated hatchet is a book that you are sometimes required to read in some of the younger grades yeah if you're if you're a 90s 90s kid like us like uh you pretty much had to read it or someone yeah. you knew someone who read it or someone did a book report on it in middle about school a, about a kid who gets in a plane crash in the alaskan wilderness when he's in like a small plane and then he has to survive for however long until people rescue him yeah um damn i mean i definitely always remember about that book that he like he like finds this like berry and just eats all these berries and then spends like the first night like throwing up all over the place. yeah he gets really sick um yeah so it's some sort of i do feel like it's some like the what alcohol would it be it's something that has like rancid berries in it and it makes you puke <laughs> some like boysenberry brandy or some weird shit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but no the actual cocktail has those berries like, oh. picked from the bush in Man, the- i don't know that was the thing that was the thing that i'm, I'm talking about like we were at we were at the <laughs> restaurant bar and we just like forgot what cocktails were <laughs> we were like, no there's also uh, all these cocktails after novels can also be super fanciful so yeah. it's it's like a martini glass that has those rancid berries in it and then it has like and then it has some like hipster thing like a rainwater vodka like like <laughs> something you know because it's like always raining and he's like miserable yeah so yeah something like that that works it tracks <laughs> the i don't know that might have to be non-alcoholic yeah it's a no duel for that yeah (laughs) yeah because he's so young exactly uh yeah here give me another one uh how about left hand of darkness by ursula k Le Guin? you describe this as like a sci-fi that's like gender bending before its time right yeah yeah it was a lot focused on the the kind of uh gender roles of this one planet uh and the cover is left hand yeah the cover's sick so the cover has the cover it's like an ice planet so like there would definitely be like this would be a cold Mm -hmm. drink with maybe some crazy a crazy piece of ice in the middle of the glass like so you're basically paying for like (laughs) artisanal (laughs) shitload of shitload of ice Mm -hmm. to um 
and then yeah, I, th- I think I could see that like a tall, tall glass, and then the ice is like uh, remember the Doctor Funk? Yeah, the Doctor from China taste. <laughs> kind Tiny. of like a totem, like, yep, a, like a, totem. a totem head yep. ice that's kind of in the glass, and then so it's like ninety five percent ice and ten percent uh, some like uh, what's that blue liquor? Hypnotic. It'd be like hypnotic. I think. <laughs> hypnotic. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but also left hand there's a left hand brewery in uh colorado here very good go. so it's one of the it's one of it's the it's the crazy sci-fi cocktail that you just described with the left hand chaser yeah oh what if it's dry ice too oh okay so, so you like can't even can't even drink it can't even drink without, it without like can you drink can you drink out of something that has dry ice in it or you'll just die i i just i think you just can't touch it it'll like stick to you hmm it's bad for it's bad for your skin. It'll give you like instant frostbite. So <laughs> maybe just like a chilled glass, though. So right. then, like once once you like wipe once your once your hand kind of like wipes away the condensation, you see the crazy face underneath, and you're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> All right, give me one of mine. Okay, um, Wind Up Bird Chronicle. So I think actually this book might have come up between me and Daria when we were like having the initial cocktail conversation. Um, uh, but I completely forget what I said during that. So I thought past Trevor was going to help me, but he didn't at all. Um, what would wind up Bert be? I feel like it would definitely be something that's like, cause that book has all these different like threads going forward and backward in time and like all this different stuff. So it would be some sort of like throwback, like maybe, like a discontinued beer like aren't there some famous discontinued beers what's the one that uh marty crane likes valentine's valentine's could have one of those yeah it's, it's like a valentine um and you have to drink it alone <laughs> in a well <laughs> in a well <laughs> yeah at the bottom of a well that's the and and the bar is set up for that okay it's a three-hour wait <laughs> <laughs> stray cats like hanging out at the top of the well you could see them yeah so like what would the con- cocktail be for warlock oakley hall uh for that i mean i just you just got to think like old-timey uh tombstone saloon you know whiskey probably glass. just probably just yeah wi- like some some whiskey mm-hmm. or something but uh because it's essentially like know. a Western, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a Western sort of based on, loosely based on the real events in uh, in Tombstone. Maybe some some whiskey or some bourbon. Uh, hmm, how could you make it cool, though? Maybe it's <laughs> like a six shooter. <laughs> so you got, six, <laughs> you got six shots in like, uh, in I mean, some, some wooden trays. Yeah, yeah. Some stupid like themed restaurant has done that before, for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, something like that. Maybe different, different, uh, different, different liquors in in a six shot formation. So you're just completely fucked by the end. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's yeah. That's that's what I get when I think about that book. I think there was a fair amount of drinking. Um, and if you go back to that that episode, I talk about how the main character uh, Blaisdell he like hops on the scene in such a badass way where like he he goes to the bar and you know he's he's sent in to to clean up all this mess 
and he like very coolly walks up to the bar and like orders. I, he might have ordered a whiskey. I got to go check what he orders because that would be the drink. He orders a drink, downs it, and then he's like, kind of introduces himself, like, "Hey, I'm here to fuck shit up, <laughs> kick ass, and chew bubble gum." Yeah. So that's that. That's that's that. I think just straight up. Next up for me. Uh, holes. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there like a liquor in holes where it's like it's like no, I know what it is. Well, though. the whole thing is like the peaches. Yeah, the peaches. yeah, yeah. It's like there's a whole saga in that book about like the bottled peaches and stuff like that. And it's like legendary, like they're these peaches or whatever. So it's definitely one of those like uh, peach infused vodka drinks. Sure. Um, is, that what, is that what a fuzzy navel is? Is it peach something? Peach. Yeah, it's like peach something. But you know what? Be- because these are like the fanciful drinks that make no sense. It's it's going to be a peach infused dirty vodka martini. <laughs> so it has all the nasty like olive juice and is like dirty and gross because (laughs) because they dig the holes and then it's made with like peach (laughs) peach infused liquor and it's just horrifying (laughs) isn't there some shit in that book about onions too i think there's there's something else that's also something something that people put in martinis (laughs) yeah i think there's something about onions where like maybe his descendants used to just like eat onions like raw yeah something like something, that something like that yeah but yeah. we got the dirt in there we got the peaches in there maybe you like put one of those weird olives and i mean one of those weird uh you know little jewel pearl onions or something yeah i don't understand how that's part of a cocktail in any mode of life don't they do that though <laughs> isn't there martinis that have like a little pearl onion i think so yeah what the hell is that about there's definitely bloody mary that has like onions involved what the hell yeah. Okay, uh, the Talisman by Stephen King and Peter Strong. Uh, uh, I don't remember really cool. much about the Talisman. Doesn't it have something to do with werewolves? It's really good. Uh, <laughs> I, I liked that one a lot. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's about a kid, and it's got a lot of kind of parallels with Dark Tower, like uh, as far as the, the kind of journey, and <laughs> it. I mean, it has like a a like a werewolf kind of thing in it, but it's like his buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I don't remember too much about it. That could be like a drink though. Cause it is just a kid. And it's all uh, over the place. Yeah. I know it's so broad. It's like a very, uh, very kind of big scope story. Damn the talisman, the talisman. Uh, that maybe might just, just be like soda. Yeah, <laughs> it maybe might, it might just, just have a, to be some soda pop. Soda pop or like a, a beer mug that is, has a talisman hanging off of it for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's the talisman cocktail. Well, like the thing takes place. Uh, I mean, it starts out when he like goes over to the other world from that book. I think it starts out at like a pier. Hmm. So that sort of thing, like an Atlantic City style pier. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So maybe something based off that. I don't know. Sounds like maybe just a classic Jack and Coke. <laughs> yeah, I'll stick with that. Maybe the kid's name is Jack. I can't remember. <laughs> so that might work. It's something like that. I think, it's, t- I think yeah. this conversation is really leading to us just reading the talisman again. <laughs> oh, you also have... Uh, I think Wolfman Jack is like a character in that book too, if I'm remembering right. So let's go with that. Wolfman okay. Jack and Coke. Nice. Or something like that. Man, I should read that one again. It's 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 awesome. 
Nice. So your last one here is Moby Dick, some salt water. So interestingly, I definitely remember what came up that this came up in the original conversation with Daria. So yeah, I definitely I said something like it definitely has to be it can kind of be any drink, but it has to have salt on the rim and not like the classic like margarita salt on the rim. It has to have like sea salt on the rim of like some horrifying whiskey or something like that because <laughs> there is a section of the of, of moby dick where he talks about them like keeping like a certain reserve of every ship has like a few barrels of whiskey because like you know the sailors just like can't take it anymore yeah um so yeah it would be the classic sea salt on the rim of a whiskey cocktail which would just be terrible <laughs> But that's uh, that's what life was like on the Pequod. So yeah. Or it's like you know how I think I said uh, when I was talking to Dari about it originally. You know how like there's like mescal has like worms sometimes like in the bottom. Yeah. It's like a you know salt on the rim drink, and there's like a piece of whale blubber like at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, they do eat well in Moby Dick. There's like a yep. There's a section of it where it's really good. Like one of the, like, I think it's the second shipmate or something. He's like convincing the cook to like carve out like a section and like make it for him. And it's like, he's like, not everyone on this ship eats the whale, but some of them are so passionate about like hunting the beast that it's like, yeah, I'm going to eat him. <laughs> Even though it's not good. Um, so your last one is Lost in the Funhouse. So yeah, Lost in the Funhouse, it would be, it's a bunch of short stories, but it's like, playing around with the theme of or with like with the idea of a short story and maybe a little pretentious, maybe a little bit like I'm smarter than you kind of thing, but like, mm -hmm. uh, Hmm. So one of, maybe one of those like gastro, uh, like bars where it's like, you know, or maybe like an oxygen bar. Yeah. <laughs> like, like your vodka is served in the form of, you know, a gaseous liquid or whatever. Yeah. It's like an eye drop yeah <laughs> <laughs> or a butt chugging <laughs> wonderful something like that something classy like butt chugging actually i brought this up when i in introduced this but um the fun house was the uh the local bar in bethlehem pennsylvania <laughs> yeah <laughs> that uh pretty ski skeezy looking um their specialty was um probably just budweiser no sorry uh uh, yingling yingling it would be a yingling <laughs> personally just a yingling lager but then also maybe you hit yourself in the head with something to feel like you're drunk <laughs> something like that nice yeah it's just a hammer <laughs> that, that's what they slide across the bar yeah <laughs> a hammer and a yingling uh nice uh, okay, so yeah, I mean, we, that's an easy game to return to. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Forever. Uh, good good bar game. And I like your idea, too, of trying to revisit what, where we where were you when we read certain books. Yeah, and it's mean we're going to have to go back before the pod. Before the times, the yeah. pod. Well, I mean, there you can still have covered something during the pod and been in a phase of your life. <laughs> that's true. Definitely happen. No, all the phases of my life ended in 2017 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> At the pod. 2019. 
exactly. Cool. Um, I think you went first last time. You know, I'm a little disappointed though, because uh, you didn't you didn't like give this segment uh, a snappy name. That oh, yeah. was also a pun. I, I I put in less effort into my intro. Fucked than up. Mark does. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to start with the name. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> and, now, and now that I'm adhering headlights, it's like you're trying to remember what cocktails are. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, so I, you said I'm going first? No, you went first last time. Okay. My I bad. think. Right? Yeah, I think you did. Yep, yep. Okay, so uh, for this week's book, I um, and it truly has only been one week. When's the last time we actually recorded, like, weeks back-to-back? Like, this is, yeah. this is Pretty- an historic event pretty good um so this book this week i like fired it off and it's a really short one i was like super psyched when i got this book in the mail i ordered it um on a whim but then when i didn't know the page count but then when i got it in the mail and it's only 100 pages i was like yes so like so psyched (laughs) um so i'm returning to virginia wolf cool and i read a room of one's own do you oh, know, nice. you introduced me to Virginia Woolf via, uh, to the lighthouse. First you covered it on the pod. Then I found it sounded great. So I read it and it was, so now I read a room of one's own. Do you know anything about this book? Uh, sort of, I know like the quote from it. Which um, is. it's kind of like if, a, if a woman is to have like, you know, space to grow creatively kind of thing or like mm-hmm. I think maybe she's talking about writing that you need like a room of one's own to kind of right yes space basically. yeah that's the that's the gist of it but i didn't even know reading into the first literally the, like the first sentence of this book i didn't know that this is nonfiction. did you know that not exactly no no yeah so i mean it's it's kind of like okay so here's the premise and actually when i started reading it it was like like, you know, you know my reading habits by now. Maybe some of our listeners do. But when I started reading the first sentence, I was like, oh, like, this isn't fiction. I don't know if I'm going to read it. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that's how bad I am with, like, you know, whatever. But I guess I went into, you know, now I kind of, like, implicitly trust Virginia Woolf because it's, like, the, the setup is basically that A Room of One's Own is, like, a compiled, like, basically, like, an amalgamation of, like, I think one or two, like, I think it's like two different speeches that she gave to like women's like audiences or like, they, I don't even think it's exclusively women's audiences, but like colleges had asked her, will you come speak about the topic of women in fiction, like to, you know, our students. Mm-hmm. And the result of it is this sort of like, stream of consciousness essay slash speech called the room of one's own and in true like super badass fashion it's like i feel like that's happened more than once like the like the um david foster wallace this is water speech and like a few other things like don't you feel like you've heard of that happening before where it's like they come ask like they ask some famous intellectual or business person to do x and then it becomes y (laughs) you know like like all these like crazy things so a room of one's own 
evolves out of her being like, so you asked me to come here and talk about women in fiction because I'm supposedly somebody who should talk about women in fiction and like blah, blah, blah. But then it evolves into like a semi novel where she gives you like, like weird, you know, like there are parts of this book where she just describes like, and then I went to the cafe and had a piece of toast. (laughs) and like and like tea and stuff like that so there are like little scenes in it and stuff which is really cool yeah but the core premise is revolving around the idea that she's giving this like quasi feminist (laughs) but also like kind of like daydreaming sort of thing um about women in fiction and she like she kind of lands on a lot of insanely like mind-blowing kind of some of them are theories some of them are like you know, statements about, you know, the state of feminism in whenever it was like in the twenties when she gave these speeches. So like the state of feminism there and also kind of like the literary history, it's definitely like, I I never took a women's lib course, but this is like something that you would be reading in women's lib. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it's really kind of eye opening and, and like shocking. And she, you know, definitely has like a level head about these things, but there's also some really interesting stuff. Like there was one passage that like totally blew my mind. She was talking about um, the basic concept. Okay. of uh, Like, like you said, the title of room of one's own is she's basically saying to the, this audience of people that her theory is that for women to develop and in, in writing and in society in general, that it's like an unfortunate fact that you probably need one independent income. So you're not like somebody who's like, I was married off to a man when I was 13, you know, like in like French Mm -hmm. society, you know, back in the day. And it's like, so basically you need to be lucky like me and have like, she apparently had some aunt that died and just gave her like a stipend per year, like in her will. So she was like, so basically I have my basic needs met And then she's like, and you also need a room of your own. And she goes into this like lecture about how a woman having a room of her own has like not been possible up until like her generation. Yeah. And so it is like pretty literal. Yeah, it is. It is literal. It kind of branches from there. Yeah, it is literal. But like she obviously attacks it from every angle being like super, super smart and stream of consciousness and stuff. But she talks about kind of like, you know, a lot of things like, um, the the brain of an author like how they may like some of the best authors may have had a more androgynous brain of being able to acknowledge men and women like equally their feminine Mm -hmm. side and their masculine side equally she talks a decent amount about shakespeare she talks a decent amount about um the other like famous like milestone women like uh like bronte and jane austen and um you know a few others yeah poets and stuff like that uh she it's really interesting like one of the mind-blowing sections of it was like she's talking about how there's um you know a mystery in female life about like basically like going back throughout time women female characters have there have been strong female characters in male dominated literature like all the way back to like odysseus you know and like like homer and stuff like that and but then she's like but there's this interesting not interesting horrifying dichotomy where it's like there are all these female heroes and like greek goddesses and like all these like powerful like lady Macbeth and everything like that and then she's like but at the same time in the 1400s it was like you could read about these 
heroines written by men and then it's like perfectly legal to like knock around your wife and rape her like like women have not been on like an equal playing field and have not had the economy or a room of one's own to develop their mind like their like thing properly so she yeah, and she's also talking about like shakespeare like during his time she's like the condition of women like during shakespeare's time it's like how come there's not a female shakespeare and it's like because they were treated like shit for hundreds of years yeah <laughs> so it's like all these things where it's like you didn't have a room of your own or like blah blah and then also another part that blew my mind was like she actually went into sentence by sentence like um analysis of Jane Austen I think it's like a part in Pride and Prejudice and she's talking about how like to drive her point home of like how a, like isolation as an author is important she's like she's talking about society at that time and she's like you know people like like women like the Brontes and Jane Austen probably weren't writing in their own rooms they might have been like writing in common rooms like of the household mm -hmm. so even though that they were like relatively moneyed and things like that it was like she actually there is like a part where she quotes like the full like thing in pride and prejudice where it's like i think it's pride and prejudice where she's like going down like uh jane austen is like going down this like road of that's like extremely philosophical like it's very like mind bendy and like she's talking about like emotions and blah 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 and, and uh virginia wolf is like she's getting there she's getting to like this insane you know, like thing. And then the next paragraph starts with like something really benign, like, oh, and then whoever, Mary, like walked into the room, blah, blah. And she was like, right there at that sentence, I surmised that she was interrupted <laughs> because she was like going down this like amazing like thing. And then it like abruptly stops in yeah. this other direction. And it's like, she like picked it up like a few days later because she wasn't <laughs> like, didn't have the economy to do it. And it's, it's really fascinating, especially, I mean, obviously to hear, you know, a, you know, a monolithic sort of like iconic author like her discussing other authors. She does mention Proust like several times, which obviously was making me like super excited because she was like talking about how Man, he had he had nothing but time. Right. Yeah, exactly. His entire <laughs> definitely thing, had his own room. Yeah. His entire thing was <laughs> I only live in a room. He had yeah. a room of his own for sure. And, um, and yeah, she actually talks about like, if there, if every, if within every uh, going back to left-handed darkness and kind of like, and like analyzing sexuality, she was, she's kind of saying like, that's one of the things that she talks about. Like when she talks about Proust, she's like, every author is probably a woman, man, a man, woman, and like combinations of the two, like how much they can balance like those things. And then she, like, as an aside, she's like, in fact, Proust was probably more of a woman, man, than a man, woman, <laughs> like more sensitive than the average like male author, which is yeah. really cool. Um, and everything else about the book is just like really well-written, normal Virginia Woolf. Like, it's not like this is some dry, like academic essay where she's talking about, let's, you know, go like this and Jane Austen that like is tucked in between, you know, those little stories. Like there's a lot of really subtle things. Like one of the stories, like one of the narrative threads in the beginning is like, she tries to go to a library and it's like, this library is for like the male students only. And she's like, what the fuck? Like, you know, and then like goes on her merry way, like having to study the tradition of women in fiction for this, like preparing for this speech and like being subtly rejected, even though she's like invited to the college to like talk yeah. about it. Um, so, yeah, a lot of 
really interesting little things like that. So, so do you know what year this was again? I'm just trying to piece it together because I think at the lighthouse was 27. This is 1929. Okay, so shortly after. This essay is based upon two papers read to the Art Society at Newham and the Adha at Girton in October 1928. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because uh, I think, I mean, I when she started out writing, it was her and her husband like self-publishing all their stuff. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering like if this was another thing that was self-published or, you know, had she kind of caught on by then, like to the point where she's giving speeches and I think, know, yeah, she I is wonder. giving speeches. Cause she's asked okay. to these places to talk about women in fiction. Cool. Yeah. So it's really, yeah, there's lots of nice little like narrative scenes and everything, but then there's also these, like, it's like her mind blowing kind of like hypothesis about the limitations of, you know, women in the, in the, you know, not even in the fiction industry and like the like publishing industry in general, there's lots of like really interesting um, like quotes that she pulls from other books of like men being like, you know, women don't know anything. Ha ha ha. Like all that stuff. Um, There's a lot of stuff in there like that. Um, Yeah. And and also, you know, just, I mean, I'm randomly flipping through the book right now and then, you know, really kind of cool, insightful things like uh, I'm picking up a sentence literally out of random, but I know it will be good. Like, I need not hate any man. He cannot hurt me. I need not flatter any man. He has nothing to give me. So imperceptibly, I found myself adopting a new attitude towards the other half of the human race. It was absurd to blame any class or any sex as a whole. Great bodies of people are never responsible for what they do. They are driven by instincts which are not within their control. They too, the patriarchs, the professors, had endless difficulties, terrible drawbacks to contend with. Their education had been in some ways as faulty as my own. It had bred in them defects just as great. True, they had money and power, but only at the cost of harboring in their breasts an eagle, a vulture, forever tearing the liver out and plucking at the lungs, the instinct for possession, the rage for acquisition, which drives them to desire other people's fields and goods perpetually, to make frontiers and flags, battleships and poison gas, to offer up their own lives and their children's lives. So it's like, you know, I mean, I randomly just picked the only pro-male paragraph out of the entire fucking book. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, she goes on to say, like, different things about female authors. You know, maybe they have been driven by their... And, you know, she theorizes also about a future time, which I would wonder, you know, if we could revive her from the dead. I would wonder if she would believe that maybe the time that she theorized about had come where... Because she talks about the great women authors and she's like, you know, in some way up to this like point in our development of, you know, like when she's giving these speeches, it's like suffrage happened like 10 years ago or whatever, like women just started to vote. And she kind of says, um, she just, you know, theorizes about like, if, if, if in the future we're not like writing out of the reaction that we, you know, shouldn't be able to write or like, Oh, a woman can't write or whatever. Or if like women are harboring no sort of like animosity towards the opposite sex, then possibly that would be when it, you know, all comes forward into a more like holistic picture. I don't know. I don't think we've gotten to that point yet, but you know, I would wonder what her opinion about the current kind of literary landscape would be. Um, because there's a lot of women on the bookshelves, a lot more than when she's when she's uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely when she's uh, doing 
talking, giving these speeches. So yeah, it's really good. It's really, honestly, a really good book to read for, you know, you and I have discussed before how it's like, we just get led down this path. And I do think that we get led down a path of like, if I'm going to start reading the classics and I'm going to read, you know, or I'm going to get into reading because of Stephen King, or I'm going to do this or whatever. It's like very male dominated. It's like all this stuff where it's like, even to dedicate your life to reading and to dedicating your life to the classics, it's like, you could have only enough time to just read a bunch of white dudes. Yeah. So you kind of try to, <laughs> try to branch to, from that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, Remote sure. One Zone is definitely a good thing to read because it gives you that that kind of perspective. And it's and it's really, really well written and really good. Uh, I'm going to read a one star a review from Molly Jones on Goodreads. And I actually, as much as, you know, one star reviews are, um, you know, always humorous and something that we <laughs> usually disagree with. Molly Jones on Goodreads, I could definitely kind of like see her point, but I think also you got to look at it through the lens of history that we're reading a speech directly from 1928. But yeah. Molly says, and I could, I could get on board with this too. It's kind of interesting. She says, this book is absolutely infuriating. Wolf claims that a woman needs to, needs to write is a room and a fixed income. Wolf claims that all a woman needs to raise a room and a fixed income. That's not the infuriating part. She goes on to attack all of her other female fellow female writers, claiming that their opinions about the opposite sex wreck their novels, and that these women's, especially her comments on the Brontes, wrote from anger or other emotions that didn't allow the true nature of their characters to come through. Being a writer is about being passionate, not impartial, and I think the story should reflect that. Besides, without the brave cultural commentary made by writers such as Bronte, where might the present female writer find her strength? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of the conversation I am as, you know, white dude, but I could definitely see her point that there are, there are points in this where Virginia Woolf is just being like, every woman that's written so far is just writing because she's mad at the penis. Um, but there's, there's a lot more to kind of dissect in there. So hopefully Molly has maybe, I would reread it and honestly, I was so psyched that we were like recording one week, like back to back. But if we weren't doing back to back, I would probably read this book again because it didn't take me long to do it. And there's a lot packed in here. So uh, I would definitely do a double dip on a removal one zone. It's really good. And it's really firing me up like spoiler alert, but there might just be like Virginia Woolf for like a few weeks. <laughs> because okay. She's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get my hands on some more too. Yeah only got the one so far but i do have a uh books like a big um whatever you call it book sale thing coming up soon oh nice at the like community center nearby is huge so i'll definitely be bringing a wheelbarrow with me <laughs> nice yeah <laughs> did you bring all did you bring like so many because you recently I brought everything across, i brought everything you, yeah you drove across the u.s was half the u-haul filled with books yeah, pretty much. They're, they're still packed up, most of them. So, is the yeah is your family that you have arrived with in Colorado? Like, <laughs> what the hell, dude? No, no, it's all good. <laughs> I just got. I might have to get my own storage unit if I get any more, but we'll see. Uh, so yeah, good job. I'm definitely definitely be interested in reading that. As like yeah, like you said, it's I kind of want to. And it's really easy. More into uh, Virginia Wolf as well. Uh, all right, so. For my book report here, kind of weird, kind of kind of weird that we already talked about. We already name dropped werewolves once. Nice. I forget what the context was. We were talking about werewolves. I think Talisman has werewolves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, 
because last week I or uh, we briefly talked about an article I sent you about Steinbeck's unreleased werewolf novel. Correct. But I felt we didn't give it enough attention. And you uh, found it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I wanted to talk about it a little more this week as an intro to my book report. Okay. Because I also feel that we didn't, I had forgotten everything about the article that I read because I didn't like write it down for my prompt for like the, uh, for the intro last week. Mm -hmm. But I actually went back and read it again, took some notes this time so we can actually talk about it. So that the book that Steinbeck wrote, uh, it's called Murder at Full Moon. Ooh. Yeah. And it was published under the pseudonym Peter Pym. P-Y-M. P-Y-M. Peter Pym. Uh, and the synopsis is as follows. I'm going to quote this from an article I read. A dog is found murdered at the hunting club in Cone City, a fictional locale on the central California coast. Of course, it's California. Uh, under the light of a full moon. Then the club's Swedish cook is killed. Of course, he's Swedish. More, no, I have no, more <laughs> deaths follow. New in town, cub reporter Egg Waters. His name is Egg Waters. Uh, narrates the story of a series of brutal murders that appear to be the work of a werewolf. Uh, an, an amateur sleuth on the case develops a theory of crime solving based on the detective fiction he's read. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a theme sometimes like someone who it's, it's like a Don Quixote thing, you know, like mm -hmm. someone who's very bookish, like applies all his, all the books he's read to, you know, books they've read to their, their life. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, they, they know they have this preternatural ability <laughs> to do something based on all these books and knowledge that they've accumulated. But okay, so, so that's the story. Egg Waters. Egg Waters. I don't know. How do you get the nickname Egg? Maybe his parents named him Egg. <laughs> no, it's like in quotes Egg. Oh, uh, all right. So like Egg nickname Egg. Egg Waters. What about that scene in Cool Hand Luke where the guy eats <laughs> all the eggs? Yeah. I mean... Is that that's got to be the only way, though? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the so the crazy thing about this book, you know, like we, the whole point of the article is like, oh, you know, the estate doesn't want it to be published. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, a bunch of people have actually read this book because the type the typescript is is located at the Harry Ransom Center, mm -hmm. uh, which is a internationally renowned humanities research center that's part of the University of Texas at Austin. So it's like one of those libraries where you can like rent books if you have a special like application or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, you know, we can actually go check this book out at this one library. Um, but we would have to like get our first, degree. We first. would have to get tenure first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be a very rare, a very rare shitty book report, though. Exactly. And it would yeah. probably be the worst, the shittiest uh, kind of report done on the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The shittiest all these of all reports. Academics or whatever. But anyway, so that so that's that's uh that's a little bit more about the Steinbeck unreleased werewolf novel. But so my question for you is what's your favorite werewolf thing? Just like book, movie, mm, comic book, dog soldiers, video game. You know, that I don't know what dog is that? Soldiers? You've never seen oh, Dog Soldiers? Wait, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh my god, that's that like, movie's awesome. Is that a Bruce Campbell thing or like 
it's something like that right no it's like yeah it's like in the vein no it has nothing to do with that but it's like in the vein of like an evil dead style thing but it's like it's like these british soldiers are running like a drill in the woods and then the drill becomes not a drill because there's like dot like werewolf like men okay like everywhere but the thing that's cool about it is that like the it has you know all practical special effects and costumes Ooh, and everything that's the best yeah. and but they're like really good especially for like the like the kind of budget frame that you can tell the movie is in they like <laughs> they they like spent everything on these massive like werewolf costumes yeah is um, it like a film film school thing or just independent no yeah it's like a movie movie like it, it okay. like you can like find it um cool but yeah dog soldiers probably my favorite one of my favorite werewolf things nice um so, so i was trying to come up with a list uh stephen king he's got the cycle of the werewolf that's like his big werewolf thing uh which if i remember right is like it's it's not a lot of writing to be honest it's way more about like cool illustrations that are in it i don't even know that the cycle of the werewolf uh they made it into a movie called silver bullet Corey Haim. all right if you say so <laughs> Damn, dude! I thought you were—I thought you were a king head. I have a king limit. I have like this, like <laughs> I have—I have like I know that I'm done. Like once I've completed the majors, like once I had read like it, the stand, all of yeah. Dark Tower, like all these different kind of like figurehead novels, that I'm kind of like I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about Teen Wolf? You seen that one? Seen Teen Wolf. Yep. Okay. What about what about what? Never mind. My thing's fucking up. <laughs> he playing a clip. <laughs> Something about Teen Wolf on a basketball court. No, I, 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 I don't know. My phone's fucking up. I was trying to play Werewolves of London. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows what that sounds like, anyways. But so that's another thing. Uh, you got an American Werewolf in London. It's a pretty mm-hmm. cool movie. Why are there so many, like, I feel like there's more, like, jokey material with werewolves than there are, like, vampires. I guess there's a lot of vampire joke stuff, but it's, like, everything that you're talking, all the, like, milestones that you're talking about are very, like, not serious. Teen Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, yeah. Underworld. The Twilight has uh, werewolves in it, right? Yes, Twilight, for sure. Yeah, I don't know why werewolves get that. I guess they're not taken seriously. Till you see one but yeah of course uh i and, so okay so in looking up werewolf things i found i found a movie that has uh, in my opinion or my point of view been totally lost to time like you know mm-hmm. how that happens where it's like maybe a big budget thing like in its time and then it's just it's like it won't even get played on 3 a.m cable yep. channels or whatever mm-hmm. so listen to this movie here that no one's heard of 1994's wolf wolf it's a romantic horror film about a guy who like runs over a wolf or something because he lives in Vermont. He gets bitten by it, but then he like goes back and he works at like a publishing house or something. And there's like office politics going on and like relationship <laughs> issues. And then he, oh, also he's turning into a werewolf. Like, <laughs> but then like he's dealing with becoming a werewolf, but also like dealing with the office politics, like. And leveraging like the werewolf thing into it, I think. I got to see the movie, but like, listen to this lineup here. You mean the autobiography of Barack Obama? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
No, it's uh okay. It's uh Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. as as the wolf guy. Mm. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. You got James Spader, Christopher Plummer. You got David Hyde Pierce in this movie. Damn, that's peak. That's peak David Hyde Pierce in 1994. Damn. David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer plays a cop in this movie. Oh my god, Must Allison. Be. Allison Janney is in it uh, as party guest number two. What? The well, fucking crazy. The... Does she do the <laughs> what's from a call it from West Wing? <laughs> the jackal. It, um, I check this out. The music soundtracked by uh, Ennio Morricone. Oh my god! What is this movie? Where is it? I need to watch it. <laughs> I know. Wolf. I need to see it too, man. Wolf. And um, yeah, look up the look up the cover right now while I continue talking. Wolf, Wolf, nineteen ninety four. I want to. I forget what the tagline is. I need you to read it. The, the movie poster tagline, which those things, the movie poster tagline used to be a lot more important of a thing. The nineties. The animal is out. <laughs> That's it. I think. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, the animal okay. is out. Nicholson yeah. Pfeiffer. Okay. Wolf. Cool. Uh but I guess now that I think about it. The most recent thing was with werewolves that I enjoyed was a video game. The mm. the new Resident Evil game, Resident Evil Village. Werewolves? Yeah, those are like the first enemies you you fight in it. That I love Resident Evil. It's it's fucking awesome. Uh really like the game. Nice. So with that out of the way, can you guess what genre the book I read this week was? No idea. You're all over the yeah. map. I know it's it's tough, but uh horror horror yep it's horror i read 2011's those across the river by wow. christopher buellman something i'd never heard of but man coming out i of was nowhere. looking yeah i was looking for some lesser known horror something i could read on the kindle mm-hmm. i had well, like a, a kindle read yeah yeah i had a credit nice. i had like a book credit to spend from from stuff um, so pick this one up it's like a it's a southern gothic type story. Uh, it takes place in the 30s. It's about a couple who move to a small town in like mid 1930s Georgia. Mm-hmm. So you got uh, Frank Frank Nichols is the main character. He's like a World War One veteran coming from Chicago. So in the beginning of the book, he like he inherits a house from uh, as you his, do, yeah. From his uh, great aunt, I guess, in Whitbrow, Georgia. And in the letter for the inheritance, he's basically said like, hey, don't live here. Don't live here. (laughs) Telling you not to live here. Sell the house. Amityville horror. Yeah, sell the house. Don't move in. But no, of course, he's like, nah, they can't be, you know, it can't be that bad. So he moves in with his fiance, Dora. Uh, He's a writer. He wants to do some research. He wants like a research project on his grant, his grandfather who like, since he's in the thirties, his grandfather's, you know, early mid 1800s. And his grandfather was his grandfather is Hitchcock's contemporary. Yeah. So his grandfather was this huge (laughs) asshole who like was a renowned like villain because he owned a plantation. Uh, You know, he was killed by the slaves that he refused to set free, like after the Civil War. So he wanted to like research his grandfather and like try to like write something about him. So he wants he so he goes to this town to like try and interview people and 
you know, he goes to like the retirement home to like talk to people and get firsthand stuff. But that's, that doesn't become that much of the story because eventually, you know, uh, some stuff happens, but so that, that's a good basis for a horror book, you know, small town, city people move into the deep South. I was, I was going to say, it sounds a little bit like Stephen King. And I also think that, <laughs> I also think that the whole Steinbeck novel also sounds a lot like Stephen King. Yeah. Continue. I know King's just got a monopoly on like <laughs> all that stuff. A guy coming oh. to a town. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, dude, that's very Kingish. I, every time I move, I'm like, damn, <laughs> just copying. Just uh, look out for clowns. Yeah. So yeah. You got the small town, you got city peep, city folk moving to the deep south. Uh, maybe, maybe you got some weird ritual in the town that's too far back to trace the origins of, you know, maybe something like that. Maybe in this book, it's that the families of the town all like send the far, you know, the farming families, they all send pigs once a month as religious offerings to uh, something across the river without really knowing what the hell they're doing. Cause it's just like tradition. Hmm. maybe people start questioning why they're doing this when they're, you know, they could, they'd rather be profiting or eating, you know, off of what they're giving up. Uh, You know, maybe they're like, uh, what's the downside of not doing this? You know, why, why don't we just stop doing it? And then, you know, maybe, uh, maybe because of that, you start needing to stock up on like silver bullets and whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, like this, this was, uh, it was a decent, decent horror thriller. You know, I needed like a, I needed a little break from some of my books. And so I got, you know, some kind of, kind of page turner, like Kindle book. Definitely. I think it's good for that. Like something modern too. You know, I think, I, I think horror is kind of all about pacing and, uh, Buellman, he's like Stephen King, of course, like. It's it's the easiest person to compare it to that he's got the short chapters, you know, short chapters to keep you keep you in the flow and keep you reading. Dude, short like chapters, good, short chapters are pace. incredible at a good pace. Yeah, I feel like short chapters were like there. I could definitely get the sense that maybe at some point in time people were looking down on short chapters, like oh, like you know, whatever. But like, it's something about like the human mind that like, even if like something like a really heavy book, like brothers Karamazov or something, if it was like chunked out, it like keeps you going. It does. Yeah. It's, it's like human psychology. I, I don't know. Like, you know, like I think that's honestly one of the reasons why people are like, someone should publish Proust, but like every three pages is like a page break and be like, it's so <laughs> easy to read. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you have the mini, uh, the mini peanut butter cups or whatever you end up you could eat like 12 of them <laughs> yeah. or whatever which actually <laughs> equals like six instead of the normal pack of four yeah exactly yeah, exactly <laughs> uh and i feel like a lot of horror writing is also about you know starting out a book with like that peaceful innocence maybe you know nothing's going on small town mm-hmm. you build up the environment for half the book where you know, maybe some cracks start to show and then boom, like the dam breaks and all that. So mm-hmm. last third of this book was fun, like horror style action. It was cool. I want to just read like a, a quick highlight that I made on the kids. Did book. they go to everybody's house in the town before they <laughs> fight the, the werewolf in the final battle? 
Not, not exactly. But you know, that was the book that I. <laughs> Salem's Lot was the book that I saw compared to the most, and like I definitely kind of compared it in my head to as well. Okay. Uh, but no, no, not too many decisions like that. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, we need to do like a full itinerary style like breakdown of of what happens in that book someday. Yeah, and someone, episode, like, yeah, someone needs to, or make like a really nice like infographic of like so this happens, this happens, this happens, and then they decide to go to Sally's house, Billy's house, Bobby's yeah. house, we need Joey's to house, like... the gas station. Yeah, <laughs> we had to, we had to wait, you know, for the laundry to finish or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let me read this. Like this is this is a little short section after all hell breaks loose. Cool. And you know, Buhlman, Buhlman's a pretty interesting writer. Like he had, he does have some good, you know, he busts out a lot of those good like southern style sayings or whatever, like with the way that people talk and mm. um, you know, kind of drew you into it. But let me just read this part. In the pictures, gangsters spray bullets and the victims shut their eyes and fall asleep. Killing isn't like that, of course. I found out that pretty young. But killing someone in your house is different from doing it on a battlefield. On the battlefield, you might have to throw a body into a shell hole or hide behind one or share a trench with one until the shelling stops, but that's it. When it happens in your house, you have to clean it up. All of it. And then you have to keep living there. It was a huge, awful fucking mess. Endless pieces of bone and tissue on everything. Endless pumping at the well. I scrubbed the walls and floor until my hand and arm were numb except for the hot pain where the flash burned the back of my raw hand. But the floors and walls, I thought the sponge would run pink forever. Gothic. Yeah. So, this was a decent page turner for me, you know, some old school horror. I do have some, like definitely some complaints about this book, uh, you know, obviously because it takes place in the deep south, there's a lot of like, uh, moments of you know exhibiting racism and stuff and like basically the the whole premise is about his like horrible uh, fucking grandfather you know mm-hmm. and but i'd also say that with the way that it was written to like a lot of it had to keep going to like i felt like there wasn't a night that passed in this book where we didn't have to like go through his dreams or whatever. Like every time that the motherfucker <laughs> closed his eyes, we had to read a dream sequence. Like, <laughs> no, <really>? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, well, cause he was a world war one veteran. So like, he's just, I guess he just couldn't, you know, he had PTSD. He couldn't, mm-hmm. he couldn't go, he couldn't go a night without having like a horrifying dream. So we had to, you know, read, read every single one of them. And that's like, that's something you can also do when you have those short chapters is like, you can, Twitter. you could just like, yeah take that break take the break and like do that same kind of thing over and over again because like the chapter will always like end when he goes to sleep kind of thing mm-hmm. you know anytime there's like a logical ending point then they'll they'll you know someone who does short chapters will take it they'll be like oh yeah okay going to sleep next <laughs> chapter <laughs> but so yeah but it, it was decent decent book decent uh like a kind of a thriller so I do have one star review here from user candy and I want to talk about like the uh, thing that they kind of bring up here. It has nothing to do with the contents of the book. Uh, This book is why I try not to get sucked into buying a book. I know nothing about when I'm in the bookstore. 
Sometimes it's a great surprise, but other times, like this, I feel like I've been duped into the purchase. This book is nothing that I expected from the description on the flap. So I'll say I don't get much from flaps. I don't read flaps, motherfucker. <laughs> Dude, yeah, it's like I, I mean, like I'm, I, I never really get drawn into something by like the one sentence premise, you know? Because yeah. like every time you're like, oh, that's right up my alley. Like it's gonna be disappointing, probably. You know, I'm more of like uh, something's got to give off an aura. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely a vibe guy. I'm definitely yeah. like, like uh, I'm, I'm a judge a book by its cover guy for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm also, yeah, vibes <laughs> of like just like seeing book spines and been like design and everything plays like a little bit of a factor. I, uh, you know, obviously like book after book on the podcast has been like, I read this because I was led to it by this because I was led to it by that. So those are like the easier decisions. But then, yeah, I mean, I just like, I definitely, and, and the reason why I say I don't read flaps is because <laughs> I, I use flap, flaps is just hilarious. Flaps. <laughs> I don't read flaps because I more often than not, I'll, I actually get a bad impression of them like book descriptions as like a reverse thing like if i read a book that i love and there's a turning point on page 200 then i'll go and read the flap after the fact and it will be like it tells you that that happened <laughs> it'll it'll be like a page like seriously like a, like a 400 or 500 page book and on page 100 is when the aunt dies or whatever you know i'm just making things yeah. up and it will be like like the like the thing will be like you know johnny's life took a turn for the worse when his aunt dies <laughs> yeah. on page 212. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, that's, that's dumb as hell. Yeah, it's always like way too revealing. Yeah. I think I'm a big, uh, I'm a big title guy. I like, I, I can, a, oh. a title can draw me. Like, I, I bought, I bought shit. Like I, one that sticks out to me is I bought this, nothing to look at, you know, plain blue book cover, white text, like, nothing fancy about it it's just called the the vivisector and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> i gotta have that <laughs> gotta have it done i I've, I've said before i think on the podcast that i like literally like the journey down like the path of serious serious literature was the sound and the fury i'm like how do you not read something called the sound and the fury <laughs> yeah that sounds sick it's just sick <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true. true. Title your books, people. Yeah, it's important. But uh, but yeah, that's all I got. I mean, it's uh, pretty good, and I'm pretty eager to dig into the next book now. I think uh, it's nice to take a little, yeah, you know, short vacation from maybe heavier stuff. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely in the in need of that right now. Actually, Do like it. planning a. Dude, you just told me you're about to read weeks of Wolf in the Road. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe I'll try to not do like maybe I'll try to do something because yeah. I have a I recently moved to and I have a new library and they have a for sale room. Oh, and you cool. know that those are like you know it's like buy this book for a dollar or fifty cents or whatever. It's like so good. <laughs> so. Nice. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of Shitty Book Reports. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Instagram, and Twitter at SVR the Podcast, no spaces. You can also email us at SVR the Podcast at gmail.com. 
Uh, send us your comments, suggestions, corrections, your your favorite book cocktail pair, maybe. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time.